All right. Speaking of my wife, we, um, you know, Frank was talking about Wednesday night. Um, actually, we think it was Tuesday night. And we got onto the topic of, of Scripture and, and how it can be interpreted and all this and that. And Marion texted me one of the more famous memory verses of all time, Hebrews 4.12. And uh, I just want to read it right now. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That idea of Scripture being living and active is what I really wanted to talk about this morning. Living and active. What does that even mean? What does it mean to say that Scripture is living and active? First of all, it means that it's much more than ink on paper, doesn't it? It means that it's much more than just the words themselves. If Scripture really is living and active, then it has something to do with something happens when there is an interaction between the reader and the words. There's something in the interaction. Something happens in the interaction. If it's living and active, it's not just static words on a page. Something happens when the reader's heart gets connected with the heart of the author and then gets connected with God's heart, when they all mix together in this experience of the reading, that's living and active. I think I've told the story before. I just want to say that so you don't think that I'm just repeating myself out of early onset, you know, Alzheimer's or something. But I, I will never forget this moment. Um, it, was, it was one of those times in my life you know, it's kind of a dark time, and I was really digging into Scripture. And I remember getting to work early uh, one morning, still dark, and nobody was there yet. I had a key, so I was going to let myself in and, and do work. But I'm sitting in the, in the parking lot looking at the building, and I'm reading John 17. And if you know John 17 at all, it is right in the middle of the, of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And it's all red, if you have a red version of the Bible, because it's just Jesus praying. It's one long prayer, the entire chapter. And I remember sitting there in the dark in my car by myself reading, and the words were almost like, you know, in those movies flying in the air in front of my eyes. It was so electric. Everything was just hitting me with such power. It, It was, it was, you know, I can say that I've never experienced that since with John 17, but that moment right there, It flew off the page at me. The concept of unity that Jesus was talking about was so real to me at that moment. That's living and active. And the fact that when I go back to John 17, it is different for me each time, maybe not as quite as as, uh, impactful in that particular way, but every time I return to it, it's different. It lives with me. It moves with me. It fills corners and nooks and crannies of my life in different ways as I move along and as I bring it with me. It didn't hit me the same way when I read it the next time or when I read it a couple of months ago. And it may not hit you in that same way. But this is the thing about living and active. It is about us and our connection with, our immersion in the Word, 
that makes it living and active. I was prepared for that moment, that moment in the dark in my car or with the Bible. Everything that had happened, everything that I'd been going through for weeks and months prepared me for that moment to experience the scripture in that particular way. It all changes as we continue to move. But it's about our readiness. It's about our willingness to receive. To receive the word as partners. To receive the word as a connection with God. Because if God's word has a message, then the message is love. And if the message is love, then there has to be a beloved That's just the way this works. God's word is living and active in us. It's our participation in it that gives it that quality. And if you think about it, it's like this with all our human communication. Any human exchange, we share something, and it's up to the receiver to connect with what it is that we're sharing, you know, Is it equally valuable to the receiver as it was to the sharer? Is there that connection that's happening? Does it become living and active? There's a concept that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks at least, but this is something that's been growing in me for years, and it is so clear to me. This concept is becoming so important to me. It's hit me so hard. It has rocked my foundations and changed the way that I am starting to view life. And I've been trying to convey it you know, for several weeks now. And sometimes as I talk to people after a given message or whatever during the week, and I realize that the concept that was so electric to me didn't make a whole lot of dent in them. (laughs) You know, it wasn't received in the same way. And, And it goes the other way too, though. That's the interesting thing. You know, you know that, Frank. You put something out there and some things that you think are the most important point doesn't really connect but other things that they're talking about, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that was in there too. You know, cool. But it's interesting that this living and active part in communication as we're trying to get things across, you know, how does that work? Now, I thought my job was to make my things jump off your page. I thought it was my job to make you as excited about the things that I'm excited about as I am excited about them. And now I realize it's just about showing up. It's just about continuing to talk about the things that animate my life. And then just kind of see what happens. You know, it's getting to be a long time ago. My first sermon, it was uh, my ordination day. I got to deliver my first sermon in the church I was ordained at. And that's uh, getting to be, what, 18 years ago? So it's, it's, uh, it's still there in memory, though. And I remember how hard I worked on that sermon. You know, I knew it was coming for weeks. And so I worked on it and worked on it. You know, Marion doesn't even know. She, she wasn't there. I was practicing, you know, on the, on the second floor and, and trying to get this thing right. And I really believed if I could just get this sermon right, it could change the world. You know, this was the moment that I could just get this message out. And it was interesting because just a few days before I was supposed to deliver it, everything changed when Marion and I went to visit our friend Lou, who was dying of uh, kidney failure at the time. And I came out of that meeting over the next few days realizing that he had said everything that I was trying to say in a sermon in 12 words. And so a little bit humbled, 
a little bit taken down a few notches. And yet, at the same time, the sermon that came out of that completely changed out of that experience. Still, I thought, oh, now this is the one that can really just hit everybody and change them, you know? That's what I really thought was going to happen with this sermon. I thought it was going to change everyone's lives. But I can tell you, at least it started changing mine. Not overnight, but it started to change mine. And so I have this concept, and it's so huge to me. And it's been, I've been sort of playing it out like fishing line over the last few weeks and uh, seeing if you're going to bite on it. And uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about metaphors and about changing metaphors. Because I understand that the images that we use for the way things are is what actually becomes our reality. It's how we interface with life. And so to really examine the metaphors that we are using, the metaphors that have been placed in us, sometimes subconsciously and so deep, we don't even realize that they're in, act, in action in our lives. But to identify them, find out what the metaphor is, what it is that we are, how it is that we are looking at life. Because if we want to change our lives, if we want to transform, then the first thing that we're going to have to do is change the metaphor that we're using. Question what it is that we believe at root, and even beneath our belief, what it is that is informing those beliefs. We've got to change that metaphor. Jesus painted in metaphors. He used metaphors constantly. Metaphor on top of metaphor, piled, trying to get the people to see a different way. You can't approach it directly when it's spiritual, but if he could paint a picture, if he could tell a story, if he could give a symbol and a metaphor that could help someone click in to see that there was another way of seeing life and reality, that's what he was all about. That was his teaching, right? And there was that one metaphor that he gave us that keeps coming back to me. It's like the gift that keeps on giving new meaning all the time, more and more. It's living and active in my life right now. And that's what we talked about the last couple of weeks. The warrior versus the gardener. The subsistence gardener or the farmer. Those two metaphors. One, we read in Paul about the armor of God. Unfortunately, it's our church that has kind of grabbed onto that metaphor. And why not? You know, the, the, uh, the Christian church after the 3rd or 4th century was built upon Roman law and the Roman imperium, the model of the Im imperial government and Greek philosophy. And so the, mo the, the metaphor of the warrior just fit perfectly into that. But when you think about the attitude of the warrior, when you think about what that metaphor implies, it's all about intense training, right? It's about getting yourself to a level of expertise that's survivable. It's all about a mindset that's always looking over the shoulder, looking for the next threat, looking at each scene in terms of threat and strategy. It's about performing. It's about surviving. It's about making things happen. It's about getting medals on your chest, decorations. It's about all of those spectacular things that we as a culture really value. But when you look at the subsistence gardener, when you look at the farmer, especially an ancient farmer as Jesus would have painted it, what does that imply to our lives? 
showing up day after day to absolutely invisible tasks, tasks that no one will ever see, that no one really cares about or values, but to be dedicated to that day after day, to get up before dawn, do the things, the same things every day, to bring soil and seed and water together, to create the environment for something to happen, to do all that work day after day, knowing that the miracle only happens when you go home and go to sleep. While you're sleeping, everything that you've been working for actually happens. And you can't control it. And you can't tame it. You can only show up and harvest it. It's such a different metaphor for life. Such a different way of approaching life. And if we know, even though we are working so hard and getting no accolades for it, no one's going to pin a medal on our chest for getting up and doing the farming and the gardening. And then to know that you are not even in control or in charge of the thing that actually needs to happen when that seed first pokes its head above the soil, it gives you a sense of humility. It gives you a sense of vulnerability. It gives you a sense of dependence. All of the attributes that Jesus talks about over and over as being the attributes of a kingdom citizen, someone who is living in kingdom, his overarching metaphor for the quality of life that we can have with our Father right here and right now. The difference between the warrior and the gardener is absolutely fundamental, and it makes such a difference in worldview. I thought that first sermon would change the world. That was the warrior in me, right? That was the warrior metaphor that I was still using, that I could do this one huge act that would then conquer the land, right? Now, I've done about 700 sermons since that first one now. And the world is still pretty much the same. You know, I didn't change the world. After 700 sermons, I've started to realize that I am really much more a gardener than I am a warrior. I have just shown up day after day, Sunday after Sunday, trying to bring the soil and the seed and the water together, trying to bring us all together. But whatever happens after that has nothing to do with me. Whatever happens after the introduction, right? You matchmakers out there, you, know, you can do all the shenanigans to get these two people together, but after that, you got nothing to do with it. All I can do is bring the elements together as best that I can. And then whatever happens, sit back and watch. And guess better, go to sleep and see what ends up growing, you know? It's all about you. It's about your lives. Now, I have to take my work seriously in order to do this, but I can't take my work too seriously at the same time. Sometimes people will come up and thank me, you know. I know you get this too. We, we, anyone who works in ministry, thank you. You know, you were the one who changed my life and saved my life. You know, and I've gotten to the point where, I mean, can you take a compliment? Sometimes it's really hard just to take a compliment, right? Just to receive it. It's taken me years to just say thank you. But I try to follow up with, I was really just there when the miracle happened. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. I happened to be the millionth guy over the bridge that was there when you were ready and we connected and this happened, you know, but I can't take credit for it. 
Yeah, I may not say all that to them. Maybe thank you is enough. It just depends. But I know the difference. I know that I'm just showing up and trying to bring elements together, the right environment for something to happen. It's not about me. It's not about my words. And when you are communicating, it's not going to be about you or your words, but about what happens as we are together in the soil. The best we can do is to simply be living and active in our lives, in our communication, in what is valuable to us, and find ourselves in partnership with each other, in growth, in change, and in partnership with God for the same thing. Now, as I was trying to understand this difference, as I was beginning to understand this difference between the warrior and the gardener, changing metaphors was devastating at first. Can you see why? It's kind of an ego bummer (laughs) to take the focus off myself, to take the focus off ourselves, off our words, to take the focus off what we think we can control, what we think that we can actually change in another person, in you. We don't, our egos don't want to deal with that. We want to know that we're in control. But now, knowing that I have no control over the important things in life, the, the germinating things, it has become liberating. It has become releasing not to be in that warrior position anymore. Not to think that I need to make things happen, that I need to control the, the outcome of things in people's lives. I just keep showing up, working as hard as I can, but then go to sleep and let the world turn. Let things happen in their own, their own cycle, their own way. And then to wake up the next morning and see what's growing. So the question is, you know, What's growing? We just passed Thanksgiving, and it was difficult for many people. I've been talking to people in the last few days and realizing what they did, or more importantly, what they didn't do. Some people that were all alone for the first time on a Thanksgiving, doing very different things, very, you know, COVID-restricted. And so it was a difficult holiday for a lot of people. I was feeling grateful in the run-up to Thanksgiving just for our community and the way that it has been able to hold together as well as it has for these last nine months through all of this. How much community that we've managed to retain in the last nine months. And I wanted to connect in some way with our people. So I just started out in the morning. I was driving Marion a little bit crazy because I was texting. You know, I was going through and texting everyone on the list that I could think of because I just wanted to say, Happy Thanksgiving and thank you. Thank you for being in connection with us. Thank you for being in partnership with us. Thank you for still being there. And, and as I sent, I sent these things out, and of course, then they started coming back. And it was really, over the next three days, I was still answering texts coming back. I think I got another one this morning. And some of them were so heartfelt in their reply. Some of them were so deep in their expression of, of gratitude for the community and for everything that has gone on and for the changes in their lives. It almost took my breath away because I wasn't expecting that kind of response. But there has been something growing here. There has been something happening in the soil of our community for years. And it's real. 
And we just showed up and made the environment right. And then as we slept, something happened. And then it takes maybe an incident like this or a connection like this where we start to realize, wow, you know, this thing, it's like a mustard seed. It's a tree now. There are birds nesting in the branches now. It's a beautiful thing. And I realized something really has been growing. Marion and I, we had a, a smaller Thanksgiving. First time in 29 years, we haven't been to Marion's parents for Thanksgiving. And so instead of 16 or 20 people, there was eight of us. But it was still really nice. You know, we were at our daughter's house, and, and uh, we just had the, just the small, the small gathering. But um, my, our daughter's husband's parents were there. And the, his mother, who would that be? Have you ever figured that out? What would your daughter's husband's mother be to you? Is that a sister-in-law? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Anyway, it was my daughter's husband's mother. She made special gravy because she knew that I liked the, um, <laughs> the gizzards of the turkey. So she made gravy out of the liver and all the gizzards and everything. And, and so she was real proud of this. And she showed me the gravy. And it's like, and so I got this stuff, and it was great. You know, it had that rich flavor. It was real dark. And so when we went through the first plate and the first round of food, I stood up at the table, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go find an excuse to eat more of your gravy. And truly, the, the, the turkey, the mashed potatoes, the stuffing, it was really just gravy delivery devices for me, you know, just a reason to have more gravy. And, and, and that was so great, you know. But if you think about that, you know, this is exactly what's happening here. The words that I say, the songs that we sing, even the bagels and the coffee in the next room, they're just gravy delivery devices, aren't they? If the gravy is the grace, if the gravy is the connection, the community, the relationships that we have, it's not so much what I say here that matters. It's not so much the songs that we sing, even though we put so much emphasis, so much weight on those things. They're just the reason for us to be here, here in this room, here through electronics, to connect so that the real things start to happen. It's just making the environment conducive to whatever is going to come out of it. It's all living and active stuff. We show up ready and willing, living and active, and something is going to happen if we keep showing up day after day. And what I realized, and I've realized it for years, but it's sometimes like this, it just comes down like a ton of bricks. I am receiving from you so much more than you may be receiving from church or from me. It's going both ways all the time. And if we don't see that, if we think we're just in the giving position, then we're missing out. We have become unready to be living and active and part of the soil because we're all partners here. We're partners in growing something that is far beyond spoken or sung words. Richard Rohr likes to call it the task within the task, and I love that. This is the task, what I'm doing right now, speaking to you, doing my best to convey something to you that maybe will have uh, the effect of cracking a door open for you, but it's, that's just the task. The task within that task 
is us being here, connected, face-to-face, face-to-camera, and allowing the time for something to happen that is much deeper than any kind of words. It all comes back to the gardener, if you think about it, doesn't it? Working hard each day, showing up each day to bring all the elements together, but sleeping when the miracle actually happens, accepting our complete dependence on a higher power to make what really needs to happen, happen. Our job to show up, to meet together. God's job to take it from there. Until we change this metaphor that we use, or life and age changes it for us, because that'll happen, then we're not going to like being in the receiving position. We're going to continue to see ourselves trying to control things as the warrior does, to control every aspect of things. Moving, giving, taking, but receiving in complete dependence, that's a completely different animal, and it's going to be so hard for us to get there if we haven't started to change the metaphor. Leonard Sweet, um, a Methodist minister and and real forward-thinking pastor, He puts it perfectly, and I wanted to read a few paragraphs of what he had to say on the subject. He says, most people in the pews have one of the greatest spiritual problems anyone can have. They are better givers than receivers. Clergy especially suffer from this disease. I confess, I'm a better giver than a receiver. I don't celebrate birthdays for a lot of reasons. He says, I gave up birthdays when I turned 40. Chief among which is the fact that I'm uncomfortable receiving. I love to give presents. I am awkward and ill at ease in receiving presents. For me, the joy is in the giving, not the getting. My soul is in mortal danger every day. I pray daily over this debilitating spiritual disease that imperils my very soul. Why? What is my fundamental category in relationship to God? What is God's fundamental category in relationship with me? God is the giver I am the receiver. The very best things about me are what I have received. The very fact that I can love is because Christ first loved me. The fact that for me joy is in the giving, not the receiving, means that I don't like my category of receiving. I'd much prefer God's category of giving. In other words, I have a God complex. like that. And there are few more dangerous spiritual conditions than this. The modern world is built, has built a stewardship ethic on a deeply flawed foundation. The theology of giving. The fact that the phrase, the joy is in the getting, grates on our spiritual nerves, testifies to the very nature of our problem with basic theological doctrines of divine grace, love, and providence. It's time to build a stewardship ethic on a theology of receiving rather than a theology of giving. Here is the most fundamental insight of faith. Everything is a gift. Everything. Here is the most elemental biblical attitude toward life. God is the owner. I am the ower. When King David dedicated to God everything and everyone who was part of building the first temple in Jerusalem, he offered this prayer. Yours, Lord, is the greatness 
the power, the glory, the splendor, and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. All things come from you, and of your own do we give you. See that? Everything comes from God. Anything that we give back to God or to anyone else is just God's. As Jesus sent forth his disciples, he said to them, freely you have received, now freely give. It is only by having been blessed by God's gift that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We cannot give until we have first received. We cannot bless others until we first receive for ourselves God's blessing. And out of that receiving we give, most importantly, to ourselves, of ourselves, and then our trust. You know, the best definition of humility that I've ever heard is just having a realization and awareness of our actual true and right relationships with God as the ower, as opposed to the owner, the receiver, as opposed to the giver, the dependent, with each other as being exactly equal, not any more, not any less. That's humility. It's not putting ourselves down. It's seeing ourselves in right relationship. But it's devastating to the ego to realize that anything that we can give, our gifts, our attempt at control, that everything that we can give is only a reflection of what has already been given to us. It's an ego bummer (laughs) to confront that until we accept our abject powerlessness to create a new gift, we will never be in position to receive what we can really only pass on. We have to confront this. We have to realize. We have to receive before we can give that there is a throughput here. We can only give, we can only give because God first gave to us. And we can only pass things through in real time. This is the life of the gardener. You show up each day to the daily details of life, small, invisible, seemingly insignificant, but that daily presence, that daily attitude and attention creates the environment for the miracle. The miracle can't be controlled, it can't be claimed, it can't be tamed, it can only be harvested. And gratitude is the only proper response. The hard work that actually provides and produces gratitude and not entitlement. Do you see the difference? Usually our hard work produces entitlement. We need a reward. We're entitled to a reward, our paycheck. But the hard work that produces gratitude, that's kingdom. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it's only possible with the admission and the acceptance of the dependence and the vulnerability and the humility of the receiver, of the gardener as the receiver. You know, when it comes right down to it, regardless of what our metaphors allow us to believe about ourselves, we are really only God's delivery devices. Have you ever thought of it that way? We are conduits to focus and deliver God's grace. That's what we do. We don't create the grace. 
We're just a delivery device through which it can flow to the person who is right in front of us at the moment. We neither create nor do we initiate. That's God and the Son's job. What did Jesus say? I don't do anything of my own initiative. I only do what my Father does in me, through me. Read John 5 if you want to check it out. We pass things through or not. There is nothing more freeing or liberating, relaxing, than being exactly what you are, exactly what you've been designed to be. Allowing all these free gifts to flow through to those in our path is effortless once we accept what's happening, once we get our ego out of the way, once we just start showing up, keep our conduit clear, hold nothing back. That's our job. Hold nothing back. God's grace is always a fire hose blowing through our front room. Are we going to dam it up? Are we going to hold things up? Or are we just going to let it flow through to all the rooms in the house? How many of you know who Irma Bombeck is? Anybody? A few? Gosh, generations, they come and they go. Irma Bombeck, very famous American humorist and, and columnist, syndicated columnist and a writer. Um, for 30 years, she wrote, uh, eventually syndicated to 30 million readers, over 900 newspapers in the United States and Canada. Uh, in that time, she wrote over 4,000 columns and uh, 15 books. And it was all about being a suburban housewife in the Midwest. It was all just about life. You know, it was so down home, just grassroots kind of stuff. And she went through it herself. She had breast cancer, survived breast cancer and mastectomies. She had a kidney disease that eventually killed her uh, when she was only, I think, 59 years old. Um, but daily dialysis because of the kidney problems. So, so it was not an easy life. And yet she brought such humor and, and such illumination to just our daily lives. I wanted to read just a little bit to close. Irma Bombeck was constantly asked if she saves up her best ideas for the next column <laughs> or how she, how she parcels out and dribbles out her best ideas. Before Bombeck died, she answered these questions in a column. What's saved is often lost was the name of the column. She said, I don't save anything. My pockets are empty at the end of a week. So is my gas tank. So is my file of ideas. I trot out the best I've got, and come the next week, I bargain, whimper, make promises, cower, and throw myself on the mercy of the Almighty for just three more columns in exchange for cleaning my oven. I didn't get to this point overnight. I came from a family of savers who were sired by poverty and worshipped at the altar of self-denial. Throughout the years, I've seen a fair number of my family who have died leaving candles that have never been lit, appliances that never got out of the box. It gets to be a habit. I have learned that silver tarnishes when it isn't used. Perfume turns to alcohol. Candles melt in the attic over the summer. And ideas that are saved for a dry week often become dated. I always had a dream that when I am asked to give an accounting of my life to a higher court, it will be like this. So, empty your pockets. What have you got left of your life? 
Any dreams that were unfulfilled? Any unused talent that, you, that we gave you when you were born that you still have left? Any unsaid compliments or bits of love that you haven't spread around? And I will answer, I have nothing to return. I spent everything you gave me. I'm as naked as the day I was born. That's it. Isn't it? That's it. To be a good delivery device. Don't get stopped up. Pass all the gifts that we have been given through. Realize you're only working with what you've already been given. Asleep when the miracle happens so that you can die as naked as the day that you were born. We're all just partners in God's gifts. We're farmers, gardeners, we're harvesters. We're living and we're active. And if we're doing it right, we're grateful. Let's pray. Father, you are the model for all of this, and it's so hard for us to see that. You are the giver, but in, this, in the same mystical way, somehow you're also the receiver. You receive from us. You take joy in us. You partner with us. Jesus, you've showed us this in your life, how this works to be the master, to be the teacher, but also be the foot washer and to be the one who receives the perfume on your feet, the anointing on your hair. Help us to see this partnership in a new way. Help us to understand that with a new metaphor, we can be freed from so much of the stress that we feel, so much of the burden that we carry, and find a new way of working just as hard, being just as responsible, but flowing with the activities of each day and valuing more the relationships and the task within the task. Thank you for our community, Lord. Thank you for holding us together allowing us to hold together as well as we have this year. And as we look forward to next year, as we look forward to being able to come back into more face-to-face connection, that we will bring this attitude, this metaphor, to those meetings as well and grow even more of what we've grown. Thank you, Lord, for being there first. Thank you for loving us. Never let us forget we can only love because you loved us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.